Good morning. I think I've forgotten how you do this. Uh, it's been awesome. What, what an amazing time having uh, Jack and Michelle and Renee getting to be here and share part of the heart of where we're going. But um, before we go where we're going to go this morning, I have a couple of just sort of announcements or updates. I don't know what I want to call them. Just, just to let you know, some things going on in the background. Um, and some things you want to participate in. So first of all, uh, this is a, a young man called Thomas. Uh, when I uh, went out my first year out teaching in India, Thomas was one of the students in my class. At the end of the time in class, he presented me with a gift, and he'd like hand-painted my portrait over the week that I'd been there and gave it to me as a gift. The second year when I was back, um, at the end of the time there, Thomas gave me this little book and he'd hand illustrated a little book about prayer for my kids, explaining what prayer is and drew all these beautiful pictures. And it, he explained to me over the time that his desire was to go to art school, learn to do art properly and use art as a vehicle for sharing the gospel. Um, now, lots of, lots of people have lots of visions for this kind of thing. And when I'm in India, lots of people have lots of things they want to tell me about what they want to do. But um, during COVID, one of the things that was really exciting, is that the right word? Yes, it is exciting, making the, the best of a bad situation. So Thomas and some of his co-workers, had, his classmates, had gone to visit a friend. Um, and while they were there, COVID hit and everything locked down. And they ended up stuck at Mahesh's house during, during lockdown. And so they were there for several weeks, and uh, Mahesh had been trying to share the gospel with people in his village. And so when Thomas ends up locked down there with Emmanuel and Anchor and Mahesh, Thomas goes outside and he sets up his art easel out front and he starts drawing. And all of a sudden, these people start coming over to, to look at what he's doing. And he would start telling them that he was drawing things about Jesus and he would explain the gospel. Then Emmanuel, Mahesh, and Anchor would start sharing the gospel with these people. They now have a church of 60 or 70 people as a result of that. Then Thomas went, went away home. That was one of the moments where I was like, I thought he was sincere, but I am seeing his vision uh, for using his art to lead people to Jesus come to fruition. So, uh, Earlier this year, I was contacted by some students, one of them being Thomas, saying, um, hey, I have this desire to go to art college. I can't afford to go. Um, and with the, the nonprofit we run that does ministry in India, we said, okay, we give scholarships. Contact iHeartIndia, and we'll sort out a scholarship. So as some different students came to me about scholarships, I presented them to our leadership team here. And, and the leadership team were like, we have to pay to send Thomas to art school. Um, so we made the decision. Thomas moved this week from the center of India up to New Delhi, and he just got his room yesterday and just started art school in Delhi. All the art that he does, which is amazing, is all self-taught. I'll probably send out some this week. But he's going to art school to learn to do art properly with the goal of using his art to lead people to Jesus, and he will. Um, and why I wanted to share this, you know, when we're looking at these values that we're going to walk in as a church, prayer, hospitality, creativity, justice, learning, and mission, this is a perfect example of how lots of those come together in one initiative. So this is a justice initiative because it's someone in India that lives in India who would not have the ability to do this if it wasn't for someone outside being able to give them the help. It's about learning, because he's going to go to school and learn art. It's about creativity, because it's art. It's about mission, because it's taking the gospel to people that don't have it. And knowing Thomas, it's all rooted in prayer. So at the end of the day, um, supporting him over the next few years as he goes through art school is, is embodying who we are as a church. And it's just one of the simple ways that we want to take a step forward into what we're called to do. And uh, we're going to have Thomas, uh, like, a 
I've had them uh, zoom in with, with the leadership team when we're having a meeting. I'll probably have them zoom in at some other time when we're all around and you can meet him and say, hey. And he's told me he's going to send me pictures all through the year of his art and his progress so that we can look at it and see how he's doing. So I just want to invite you to pray for Thomas as he uh, engages this undertaking because it's, uh, it's going to be powerful. I've already seen what God does through him. Um, and so it's going to be powerful to support him. And, and you know, there are lots of there are lots of ministries out there that will support people going to Bible college. Not a lot of people want to support someone's creative endeavor. Uh, and so this is a really beautiful chance to give someone an opportunity to do something that they would never be able to do. And, uh, and that smile is just his, his constant smile. He's so filled with joy. So that's number one. Wanted to introduce you to Thomas, and we'll, we'll send you out more information about that. Um, number two is October 14th. I'd love you to put this in your calendar. Um, we're going to do a potluck after the service, and then afterwards, a little bit of a brainstorming session. So at that point, we're going to have covered all six of the practices. And so what we want to do is get in a room and say, okay, here's the practices, prayer, creativity, prayer, creativity hospitality, justice, learning, mission. Here are the... November 14th. Thank you, Monsieur Bryant. Um, November. So we're going to go back in time two weeks. And we're gonna, thanks for that. November 14th. Put that one in your calendar. So we'll have church. After church, we'll have a potluck. Um, there'll be some information about that and sign ups and what that looks like. And then afterwards, we want to get together and just, you're here. And, and that means that God has put things on your heart that are supposed to shape how we function as a church. So what we want to do is, is look at each of those six practices and, and sit together and say, what are the things that God is putting on your heart for this church as it reaches out into the community? Uh, what are the rhythms, the, the initiatives that we want to launch into? What are the things that you're going, I would love to start something like this, and I would love the support in this. So we want to gather together, brainstorm a little bit, and then take those things into discernment process as we figure out what it is that God wants us to do moving forward. So, so you're invited to that, even if you've only been here once. We would love your input, um, as, because the more brains we have, the more storming we can do, right? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we'd love you to be part of that, help shape where we're going as a church. So, okay, now for what we're really here for. Um, <laughs> so we're in this series called Arise, and what we're doing in this series is we're trying to re-articulate, redefine who we are as a church and where we're going. And so where we've come so far in this series, we started out right at the beginning looking at um, this diagram is what we're walking through. But we started looking through uh, the three principles that are at the heart of this diagram that are shaping who we are, that come out of the Great Commission uh, and the Greatest Commandment, that we're going to be true to Christ, that we're going to be kind to people in the world, and we're going to take the gospel to the nations. So love God, love people, uh, and, and make disciples of all nations. So these are the three principles that we want to walk in. From there, we look to our posture, which is saying there's a posture that we want to walk in in the world, and that posture is grace and truth. So trying to balance uh, grace on one hand, how do we love well and forgive well with the truth? How do we speak the truth and, and uphold God's standards in the world? And how do we bring those two things together the way Jesus did? And how's that going to shape everything that we do? And then we 
we've been looking systematically at the, the six practices. So for each of these practices, there are two practices associated with each principle. So to be true to Christ is practiced through prayer and creativity. To be kind to people is, is hospitality and justice. To be sent to the world is learning and mission. And so each of these is an inward expression. So if we're looking at being true to Christ, we have an inward expression, which is our prayer experience with Jesus that bleeds outward into creativity in the world. In, in various forms. When we're looking at being kind to people, hospitality is welcoming people in, justice as we go out into the world, as we send people to the world. Learning is the posture that we take as we uh, understand and listen and figure out how we do what we're supposed to do as we send ourselves out into the world in our mission endeavor. So, so this is what we're walking through. We're on the fourth one. So um, Renee came and preached on prayer. Michelle Jones preached on creativity. Jack headed out the park last week looking at hospitality. So this week we're going to look at what it means to arise in justice. Um, and that's a word that for some people has a whole lot of baggage. Um, but we'll unpack this today, a core part of how we walk in discipleship in the world. So I would like to start, you know, justice or perhaps injustice, maybe the better word to think about, is a, is a topic that is core to everything that happens in the world and in society. You know, when it comes to media, uh, when it comes to stories, creative expressions, stories, movies, plays, books, one of the biggest themes in movies and books that grabs our attention, that pulls us into the story is the theme of injustice. Right? We hate when you're looking at a story and they introduce you to the nice characters and then all of a sudden you see the horrible things happen to them and you feel this righteous anger inside that this is not okay. And then you spend the whole movie, the whole series, the whole book waiting on the resolution of this injustice. Right? So we're familiar with this. I've got a few pictures up here just to remind you uh, of some stories where, that are embedded in our culture where this is so true. It's, it's like what Disney makes its money off of. Go back to the first one. So Cinderella, who's Cinderella? She's this girl, her, her mom dies, her dad marries her stepmother, in come the two stepsisters, depending on what version of it you're reading, the ugly stepsisters, and they come in and they mistreat this poor girl who becomes the slave to the family. She, she's out there scrubbing the floors while they're out partying it up. She's in rags while the, the sisters are in riches. This girl that didn't deserve what she's getting, her injustice of its own, uh, only to have a stepmother and stepsisters come in and abuse and down, downtrod her. And then you've got the story of, of the ball and, and, and she loses her slipper and, and the prince comes looking for her and they basically lock her in a room and try and steal this relationship from her. So the whole purpose of the Cinderella story is railing up our sense of injustice and then the joy that we feel at the end of the story when it's resolved. The second one I put up here, The Lion King, epic favorite, worst moment right here of injustice in a movie. Scar's planned sending Simba off where he shouldn't be. Stampede comes through. Mufasa, superhero dad, comes running in to rescue little Simba. And as he rescues Simba and tries to make his escape, Scar grabs his hands and throws him down to his death. Then you get this brutal moment where little Simba is sitting curled up with his dead father. And the rest of the story is Scar ruling in Simba's place. He's stolen the throne from this little lion cub that we feel so sorry for because of the injustice. And we watch this evil tyrant as he rules. And then 
spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, the story <laughs> as injustice is rectified and Simba ends up ruling once again. Another one, Harry Potter. Don't know if you think of it, the injustice of this story. Another one of these ones, Harry Potter's parents die in this horrible, vicious way. And then this little boy who's at this point, like, well, I mean, it's in his early childhood, lives in a closet under the stairs in, in his aunt and uncle's house while his cousin is pampered and spoiled and fed. He gets big birthday parties. Harry Potter is ignored. And the whole story of the book is these injustices done one after another to this poor kid. And so the whole way through the movies and the books, you're advocating for his success, victory. Come on, finally, uh, righteousness is going to happen uh, and there's going to be victory here. That's what we're longing for. So you can think of any movie, any story, there's these crisis moments that usually center around injustice. And we have this thing inside of us that, that riles up when we see injustices done and worse when we know it's done to us. Although we call everything done to us an injustice against us, even when we're the ones at fault. We like to blame other people and be the victim, don't we? But, but we hate injustice. And, and part of this is because it's the way the world it was created to function. The world is created to reflect this just God who is at work in the world. And we are created in his image with a, a, a deep understanding of justice that's rooted inside of us. You're getting a little ahead of me today, Eric. <laughs> Um, rooted in this injustice that, that, that we, we feel. We feel the justice inside. We see the injustice when it happens. Uh, and so this is its core to the world. And so when we start talking about justice being a key element of how we walk in our faith, it's, it's beginning to end of Scripture. It's in every story that we read. It's the newspapers that we encounter every day. It's the pain and suffering that we experience in our lives and the lives of the people around about us. Like we are wired to hate injustice. And God has wired us to be his creative agents in resolving injustice in the world. So he's calling us to be people of justice. From beginning to end of Scripture, it's a story of justice. So we're, we're going to look at three points just about like God as justice, we're going to look at Jesus as the person of justice, and we're going to look at the, the church as we're called into justice, um, and just look at this theme in Scripture and ground ourselves in what it looks like to be a church that's going to advocate for the justice of God in the world. So yeah, point number one, God, the God we serve is the God of justice. He's revealed this from beginning to end of, of Scripture. If you were to go in somewhere like Bible Gateway and just stick the word justice in, you're going to get hundreds of references to the justice of God. Here's a couple that I think are really important. Uh, Renee mentioned this when she preached on prayer. Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. So righteousness, justice, and I could technically highlight this word love because the word love here, chesed, is usually the word that's translated in Scripture as mercy. So you've got these themes of righteousness and justice and mercy that are always intertwined in Scripture. But this idea that God's throne is built upon these two qualities, righteousness and justice. Next one, as you're jumping on into Isaiah 16, there are these prophetic moments where Isaiah is speaking about the future king that's going to come. And what's the description of this 
earthly king that's going to come and then this heavenly king that's going to come. In love, again love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it, one from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. So again, righteousness and justice wrapped up in love as it moves in the world. So it's, the, it's what the throne of God is in heaven and it is what the throne is that he intended to establish on this earth. We read all of kings and all of chronicles and all the prophets as they fail to establish their throne in justice and righteousness. And then the longing for and the arrival of Jesus who establishes his new throne and his new kingdom in justice and righteousness. Micah 6, 8. You, basically, all the prophets are doing are calling out injustice. This is the, the prophetic literature is just reaming God's people because they fail in the work of justice. So this is Micah's summary. God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this, this word justice, again, the word chesed, to walk in love and compassion and to walk humbly. So these are all the way, I'm just giving you highlight verses, but all the way through Scripture, these themes of justice and righteousness are intertwined. So let's take a moment and geek out on some words. Um, partly why the verses we do is parallelism. We've talked about this in Scripture before. In, in Hebrew thought, they, they make sentences that are parallel to one another so that you can see that words are synonymous. So if he walks in righteousness and then he dances in justice, which isn't a Bible verse, I just made that up. Righteousness, see my creativity. Righteousness and justice are synonymous. So they're saying they're related terms. So I want to look at these words. The, the word in Scripture often translated, most often in your Bible translated righteousness, is the word tzedek. Um, and so these words in Hebrew are always richer and fuller than the words as we understand them in English because embedded in this idea of righteousness is also the word justice. So sometimes this is translated as justice, sometimes it's translated as righteousness. The second word, mishpat, <clears throat> is the word usually talking about the kind of laws and ordinances and judgments that God has made, which is really the legislation and the, the in, internal decision that we make of righteousness and of judgment and of justice towards other people. So these two words are used all the way through Scripture, and they're used interchangeably. Uh, and that's going to become really important as we start to look at the New Testament. Um, one more thing I want to look at before we look at Jesus is there are two primary forms of justice that we're reading about in Scripture. One that you can call restorative justice. Some people will call it primary justice. And the other, retributive justice or retri retributive justice, depending on how you like to pronounce it. Um, and restorative or, or primary justice is really about shalom, what is shalom in Scripture is when everything is the way it's supposed to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another and right relationship with the created order. So shalom, the peace that God intends us to walk in the world, is about relationships with him, with humans, and with the world. Um, so restorative justice, this word sedek, is really about how well we're doing at living in those right relationships. So are we living in right relationship with God? Are we living and treating one another well? Are we living and treating creation the way we're supposed to? And that through scripture, often in English, is translated as righteousness, right living, righteousness. Um, 
The other side of it that we see is retributive justice or retributive justice, which is the putative type that we're more familiar with when it comes to the justice system and the legal system, where this is correcting the things that have gone wrong, whether that is punishing those who do bad things or trying to bring systems back into right, right order. But most of the time, retributive justice is about punishing the wrongdoing, where restorative justice is about putting things back into the right order that they're supposed to be in. So whenever we're looking at Scripture, at the word justice, and whenever we're trying to figure out what does it look like as a church to step into justice, um, restorative or primary justice is the area that we are called primarily, primary justice, to step into. Putting things back into right relationship with God, helping bring right relationship back with one another, and helping us have the right relationship and attitude toward the creation that we're called to step into. There are times when the church is called to step into the latter, um, with things like church discipline processes and dealing with sins within our midst. We're seeing lots of things in the news about different denominations in the world right now that are really focusing on this retributive justice as they're punishing wrongdoing that's happened for the purpose of restorative justice. But at the end of the day, if we live in right relationship with God, so if we live in tzedek, if we live in righteousness and then we should automatically be producing just action in the world. If we fight for just action, we don't necessarily end up with right relationship with God, right? So we've got to fight for righteousness in order to be people who walk in justice, um, not just focusing on justice for the sake of justice itself. Why do we do it? God is a God of justice. It's the system that he set up. He wants us to be walking in this world, bringing restoration to what is broken, resolving as the church the injustices that we face. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec. So God is the God of justice. Jesus also modeled justice when he was living here. Like it is one of the main themes of his life as he walked on the earth. You can look at Luke chapter four, where Jesus arrives. He's, he's just been uh, tempted in the wilderness. Uh, sorry, he's just been baptized and then tempted in the wilderness. And then he arrives at Nazareth to give his first sermon. And we talked about this passage several weeks ago. He stands up in Luke four and reads in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do works of justice, proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the year of the Lord's favor, like we talked about a little bit ago, that the year of Jubilee was the canceling of debt and the restoring of property and the flipping of the system that had people oppressed so that they were back into a place of prosperity and could move forward in a healthier way. So Jesus, when he began begins, his inaugural sermon is a statement about his role as the king who's coming to establish his throne in righteousness and justice. Um, let me jump on a couple of slides, Eric. <laughs> I, I, I put one in the wrong place. You hear it when he goes on from there in Matthew's gospel into the Beatitudes. Uh, what are the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. He goes on, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Meekness, righteousness, mercy are here. Compare that to, to, to Micah 6, 8. 
What does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. I wonder if Jesus had this verse in the back of his mind as he was declaring his beatitudes, the meek who walk humbly, the righteous who act justly, the merciful who love mercy. This is the core, the summary of what Jesus was doing as he walked in the world. And, and here's where this is interesting. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we have the Hebrew words sedek and, and mishpat. And that's when you're looking in Hebrew, they have these two separate words that are often translated as either justice or righteousness. But then when you come into Greek, they only have one word that they primarily use in Greek for both of these words. And it's the word, it comes from the word dikaios, dikaiosine, um, which is the word for righteousness and justice. And so sometimes when the New Testament is translating this word, it translates as righteousness. So in Romans, where it's talking about the righteousness we have before God, other times it'll translate it justice. But it's interesting because if this has both realms of meaning, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice. Um, it's not just those who try to live a morally upright way that's better than all the people in the world. It's about the kind of relationship with, with God that we're living that affects the way that we interact with the world to put things back into the right order. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You could just say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Um, so again, in this passage, blessed are the meek, those who humbly walk forward, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, what is Jesus doing again? He's establishing his throne in justice and righteousness and mercy. Jesus is establishing his kingdom here on the earth. And scripture makes it really clear that part of the role that we have as the church is to help govern and, and spread his kingdom on the world. So if we're going to be those kind of people, we need to be walking meekly and practicing works of justice and, and loving greatly with mercy in order to help spread his plan and his kingdom throughout the church. So Jesus is the model. So th third one, the church, we are called to justice. That's what this is all saying. As the church, we are called to act in a particular posture in the world. I love Luke 12. Is love the right word? Yes, I do. In my sinfulness, I love when he takes down the Pharisees every time. Um, you do too, right? Yeah, so... It's the injustice, right? They're engaged in injustice. We, we like to say we're not like the Pharisees and we like to heap on with Jesus when really this is describing us. Um, Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invites him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not wash hands before the meals. Any kids in here, wash your hands. Um, <laughs> The Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you, you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside of you, justice language, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Not follow Jesus wholeheartedly, not follow me, not go make disciples, give to the poor and you'll be clean inside is what he tells them. As he goes on, woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all the other kinds of garden herbs. So they're doing what the law asks, and they're giving their tithe of all their resources, all the way down to every individual herb 
herb for Americans. Um, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So he's, he's looking at the Pharisees saying, here's what you're doing. You love being right. You love the law and you're doing what it says down to every little nitty bitty detail. So technically, if we're talking about tithing, we, in the church and in the New Testament, we tend to talk about tithing as I take like 10% of my money and I give it to the church. The biblical principle of tithing is you take 10% of everything. So go into your closet, take 10% of your cans of beans, go into the other closet, take out 10% of your, your chips and salsa, take 10% of your clothes, take 10% of the gas in your car, like give 10% of everything to the Lord and, and much more than that. But they're, they're like nitty-gritty details, getting 10% of everything that they possess to make sure that they're upholding the law. Uh, and then they're walking around like, I want the seat of honor in the synagogue. I want to stand on the stage. I want people to respect me and think I'm awesome. And the whole time, they're feeding their greed. They're feeding their self-righteousness. They're feeding their, their, uh, their judgmentalism and failing to represent the character of God, which is the character of justice and mercy in the world, being generous to the poor. Um, not neglecting justice and caring for those and forsaking uh, the seat of honor that they're supposed to walk in. James says a similar thing in the beginning of his letter. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. This is a good one for our culture. Um, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religious, religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. So what's the kind of religion that God wants us to walk in is one that is just, that's advocating for righteousness, that's solving the issues that exist in the world how? Through a generous heart, like he is generous. Through self-forgetting as we give up what we want for the sake of others. Through self-sacrifice as we stop advocating for the thing that we want in order to give other people the thing that they need. Notice the difference between the words want and need. There's a chorus that we, we've sung many, many times that is like this in action. This beautiful hell song. song. Heal my heart and make it clean. This is the cry of the righteous. It's, it's essentially what Jack was reading at the beginning of the service. Search my heart, O Lord. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open my eyes to the things unseen and show me how to love like you have loved me. If this was the Old Testament, that would be the word chesed, which means mercy and compassion for the broken. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. We pray these words. We sing these words. We say it as the church that we're about this, but then stop and look at your life. Like in what ways in your life are you actively pursuing being an agent of justice in the world? In what ways has this church historically been active in rectifying the systemic wrongs that exist in the community around about us? In what ways are we providing for the needs of people around about us? Now, if you're new, don't hear me wrong. The church has done lots of those things. Um, but there's more that we need to do as we walk forward into the world. I want to jump to the end of the story, Revelation 22, just to remind us from Scripture what it looks like at the end. And I want you to pay attention to some of the themes that we've seen in the passages that we've looked at so far. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So the end of the story is the throne established in righteousness and justice. How is that kingdom exercised? God's presence, his dwelling has been made among his people, and he sends us out into the world to do it, wiping the tears from our eyes, taking away the pain and the sickness and the sadness. So the beginning of the story is God establishing his throne on the earth in righteousness and justice. All the way through the Bible, we see God setting up systems, governments in place, the, whole, the judges, the kings, their job is mediate my presence through a throne established in righteousness and justice. Jesus comes and establishes a kingdom based on righteousness and justice, and the re religious establishment reject him and kill him because they don't like that the pursuit of justice points out the flaws in the system that they're walking in, right? We can be really guilty of that. And then he, he, he sends the church. The Spirit falls on us, and the church is called to walk in the world in righteousness and justice to do as in, as on, as, as in heaven, now on earth. Do on earth as it is in heaven. The righteousness and justice of God established on the world. So I find myself like asking questions when I think about this stuff, you know, the, the what if questions. Like there is, in prayer this morning, we, we were talking about at our table, there is no government and no government system that will rule on this earth in righteousness and justice. Because we're a world full of sinful people who are self-serving and self-seeking, and we try our best, but we often get it wrong. So even the most righteous people trying to lead forward will never be able to establish righteousness and justice on the earth. Um, and it makes me ask the question, what if the church was put up as the government of the U.S.? What if, what, if, what if Jesus came right now and said, this is it, church, you are now the new government of the United States of America. How well do you think we would do as the church of America in establishing righteousness and justice on the earth? And the shaking of the heads and the murmuring is what breaks my heart. Because as the church, this is what we're supposed to be specializing in. We, we, we look at systems and we go, capitalism, that's the way it is. Capitalism says your money is yours. The Bible says your money's God's. Socialism says give all your money to the state because the state's going to distribute the money. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says take your money and be friggin' generous, right? Cheerfully give it away in abundance. Um, so we're looking at these systems going, I don't want that one, I don't want that one. They're not trying to do the thing that God's called us to do. God's called us to give our life to him, to be in right relationship with him, and then to overflow the way he does. So we feel love and compassion for people, and it motivates generosity. We see an injustice, someone that's voiceless, and so we lift our voice in their defense. We see systems that are broken, and so we say, how do we as a church walk in this system uh, and, and help fix it to create a better system for the world? And so what we've got to do as a church is start asking ourselves some questions, and that's why a couple of weeks we want to get together and talk about this, the what now? Like, what are the issues of justice that as, that as I'm talking about this? What are the issues of justice that come to mind that you're like, I want to see this issue rectified in our community? 
Or what are the areas of justice that you're seeing in your own life that you're going, how do we see this rectified? Almost every week in our pre-service prayer meeting, as people are gathering and sharing what God is putting on their hearts, it's injustices. It's the hurting and the broken and the lost and the needy and the people, like, that's, that's where our heart is at as a church. We've got to ask the question, what are the areas of injustice that are prevalent in our community? Do you know? Like, have you done the research to say, what are the biggest needs in Hillsborough? Because we can easily sit in a room and go, I think we should do this. But if it's not what's needed, then it's just wasted effort, wasted resource. Um, or if we're like, I know what we're going to do. We as Alliance Bible Church are going to start a new foster care system. There's already a really great one of those working in Oregon, so let's give our resources there and focus on what God is calling us to do. So what are the areas that are prevalent in, in our neighborhood, and what is God calling our church to lean into? And the things that are on your heart are part of what indicates what God is calling us to lean into. So we're going to have to spend some time, like, like reflecting, like what are the injustices that frustrate me? What are the injustices that break my heart? Um, and then what are the needs in the community? Like what are the injustices out around us on this street and in this neighborhood that we need to rectify? And then where do those things come together? And then what are the gifts that we need to step into? What are the trainings that we need to do in order to do this? And then at the end of the day, what we're going to have to do is, is say we're going to take one and we're going to focus on it because if we can't solve every problem in the world, <laughs> we can try. <laughs> but we wanna, we wanna say, what are we gonna be about as a church? And let's take our resources and our energy and our giftedness and throw it toward the resolving of this issue. I think I've, I've mentioned this before, Embrace Oregon was a, a movement started by churches in Oregon looking at the foster care system, saying it's a mess. What if every Christian in, in the, the state was to like foster kids? Then all of a sudden there would be no kids like bouncing about the foster care system and they'd all be in good Christian homes and we'd solve the issues. That people are asking the same things about uh, the, ad the adoption issue with all the kids out there needing to be adopted. And there are so many issues in our community. Um, what are the ones that God is putting on your heart that we can lean into as a church together? You know, I started with all of those stories uh, from, from media, uh, all those stories that we walk in where we see the injustice done and we feel that righteous indignation inside and the desire to resolve it. It's why you've got people like Samuel that are working in the prison in a dark and hard, difficult place loving on people who are written off by society. It's why you've got people like Sandy donating her quilts to uh, kids in hospitals, to young moms, to single moms, to Love Inc. for their auction that they're doing right now. Um, it's why we've got, like, like, me and my family do the work that we do out in India, going to these kids that have access to no resources. We're helping fund orphanages. They're digging wells so that they have clean water. They're providing milk to, to, to young moms that are pregnant and are so malnourished they can't feed their own children. Um, it, it's it's the, the cry of our hearts to step into this stuff. So as we walk towards October 14th, I want you thinking and praying. Like, what's the injustice that you see? Is it homelessness? Is it identity issues? Is it kids? Is it young moms? Is it uh, people fearing abortion? Is it, is it um, people judging people? And that's what's the, the justice issue that we've got to walk into? Um, and last little thing as I, as I think about all of this, you know, we've got to check our hearts when it comes to justice because our justice is not always God's justice. 
And we have some strong opinions about what the world needs to look like that do not always align with the way Jesus would act in the world. When I look at scripture and I look at the people that Jesus spent his time with, prostitutes and tax collectors that were sympathizing with the other side and uh, people with disabilities and people that have been written off and kids and uh, zealots who are out there trying to cause riots in the city. Like Jesus was going to those people and loving them. And I asked myself the question, like, if Jesus was here today in Hillsborough, who are the people that he'd be with? And quite often, it's not the people that we're spending our time with. Uh, and we're writing off, because of our judgmentalism, we're writing off the very people that Jesus came to reach, who may be the very people that he's calling us to go to and to invite in in order to bring justice to the world around about us. Um, so, as we're walking through this series, as we're redefining who we are as a church, will you be people, and will we be a church who arises in justice, that this church would be established in righteousness and justice, right relationship with God, that changes the dynamic of the world that we're walking in, so Jesus uh, can be glorified and people rescued back to him. Let me pray. God, there is so much injustice in this world. Again, as we were praying about it this morning, it's overwhelming sometimes the number of things that are wrong, uh, the number of messes that people are dealing with in their lives, the problems that it doesn't seem like we're ever able to resolve. And so, God, we need your help. I don't want to be a church that's out there doing our own thing and causing damage in the world. I don't want to be a church that's trying to help and causing more destruction in the process. Lord, I know the hearts of people in this room, we long to, to see injustice rectified. We long to see the hurting uh, comforted. We long to see the sick healed. Uh, and we long to see people encountering your love and your grace and your mercy. So God, would you help us to be a church that walks humbly, that acts justly, and that loves mercy, all for your glory. Amen.